Welcome to The Emily Osmond Show, your place to learn how to make marketing, money, and mindset your superpowers. Because the world needs more women taking up more space. And together, we can do this through growing our businesses, our platforms, and our communities. I'm your host, Emily Osmond, a business coach and speaker based in Melbourne, Australia. Twice a week, you'll hear honest, insightful conversations with my guests, along with a dose of real talk from me. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Emily Osmond. And now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have an absolute treat for you with this episode. It's a conversation with Prue Simmons. She's someone who has always followed her passion from working in the environmental industry as a zoologist across the globe, hosting her own radio show, and today running her own successful business from her llama farm in central Victoria. Prue believes that life is way too short to not do what you love. An unexpected redundancy from her career in wildlife conservation paved the way for a completely different tangent in business and the opportunity for Prue to follow her other passions for profit, becoming one of only three people in Australia accredited to teach a unique Japanese style of meditative weaving that she fell in love with whilst living in Japan. Prue Studio Dying to Weave specializes in Japanese saori weaving and Japanese natural dyeing. From very humble beginnings, starting with a dream and just a couple of teaching looms, to now running a highly successful niche product and service-based business, Prue has learned the value of creating an adaptive business model as situations in life change. Prue's weaving workshops held at her studios in Melbourne and Central Victoria are attended by people from all over the country and her immersive weaving retreats sell out each year with a waiting list of eager participants for her craft tours over Japan. You'll hear the story behind this business growth and progression as a global zoologist becomes one of Australia's most passionate Japanese weaving teachers, enabling her, listen to this, to pay off her mortgage, consistently reach a six-figure income in her business whilst a lot of the time working with a baby attached to her and live the lifestyle that she has chosen and loves. Prue has been a member of my program, The Modern Marketing Collective, for almost two and a half years, and she shares the biggest learnings and successes along with the challenges that she's experienced over this time. Now, before we get into this episode, I have three reminders for you. If you want to learn how to convert your followers into raving clients, then go ahead and register for my free online workshop. You can find it at emilyosmond.com forward slash free. You're going to learn the three reasons that your followers are not converting to clients, what to do about it, and how to become in demand. So go to emilyosmond.com forward slash free. Number two, if you are not booked out in your business yet, and you want to attract more ideal clients, get coached by me for an entire year and join the most amazing, supportive, thriving community of small business owners, then what are you doing? Why are you not already part of the Modern Marketing Collective? Come and join Prue from this episode, myself and so many other incredible business owners. Just go to emilyosmond.com forward slash collective. You'll see all the incredible results as well that students are achieving each day inside this container and uh, they really speak for themselves. So get in there get to work 
and start growing your business. And number three, if you are booked out with clients already and you are ready to seriously scale to serve more people than you can right now with your limited hours available and you do want to scale your time and revenue, then my mastermind, Scalable Mastermind, could be the best fit for you. The first big goal that we commit to inside Scalable Mastermind is getting you to make $100,000 from one online program, be it a workshop, a course, a membership, whatever that might be for your business. Because once you've made that revenue, it is only upwards from there. I'm running one round only for 2022. We are about to get started. And because I'm just offering one round now, rather than a couple that I had planned, I have something else exciting happening later this year that I'll be announcing soon. I'm extending applications for a little while longer. So go ahead now, go to emilyosmond.com forward slash scalable and get your application in. All right, let's bring on Prue Simmons to the show. So, Prue, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's such a wonderful pleasure to be here. So good. Well, Prue, let's start off with who are you and what exactly do you do? Oh, it's a huge <laughs> question to start with. Okay, so my name is Prue Simmons and I am a salary weaver and accredited salary weaving studio here in Australia. Mm-hmm. One in three in the region, am I That's right? correct, yeah. So only one in three in Australia. So it's a super niche kind of thing that I'm doing, but it certainly is something that is developing more and more understanding and followers and interest as we go. So it's a really interesting and, and um, burgeoning space to be in too. What exactly is, if people are like, what is this? I've never heard of this before. What's sari weaving? Yeah, that's totally understandable because it is something that only has been happening in Australia over the last couple of years. I mean, when I first started way back 15 years ago, no one knew what sari weaving was. It hadn't even hit our shores. So sari weaving is a Japanese style of weaving. And what sets it apart from your traditional forms of weaving is that traditionally weaving is often very pattern-based. It's very precise. You know, you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to stuff it up because you can see that happening in the pattern. Sari weaving is the opposite of that. It's actually a freestyle form of weaving. So it really just enables the weaver to experiment using colour and texture. And it's a really beautiful meditative craft. The movement of it is quite simple. And so it means that you get to really tap into a really beautiful kind of subconscious meditative space as well. So it's meditation in motion. And it was developed by the most amazing Japanese woman actually back in the 60s. And so it's kind of a contemporary spin on, you know, weaving traditions from thousands of years ago. And she developed it because she really wanted to be able to express herself creatively through textiles. And so she, uh, her husband worked at a manufacturing place that made parts for looms. And so she said, you know, along with her, her son, she said, can you design me this really simple loom? And so she ended up developing this whole philosophy behind this amazing style of weaving and something that allows the weaver to really tap into their kind of innate creativity. You know, you're moving away from a pattern that you're just reproducing that someone else is. And you're having a chance to actually really show what you can do. And you basically weave a part of yourself, you know, in that piece. It's a beautiful kind of tangible outcome of that time on the loom. And yes, 
that's what I love about it because for me, I never had an interest in weaving. It was too mathematical for me. <laughs> you know, when I create, I want to be able to relax. I want to be able to just kind of enjoy myself. And if I feel like I need to have a mathematics degree to sit down and create something, then it just wasn't going to work for me. And probably the pressure to get it correct and be like, oh, am I doing this right? Have I got this all in the right spot? Oh, crap, maybe I have to unpick this bit and then redo it again. And it's pressure off and you're like, whatever this ends up like is amazing. (laughs) That is absolutely right, Emily. It's so true. And that means that like it really opens it up to anyone to do it because literally with two seconds instruction or maybe a minute, but a small amount of instruction, people are starting to weave because they don't have to feel like Are they doing it right or wrong? In fact, the overarching philosophy of salary is that there's no such thing as a mistake. You cannot stuff it up. And the word salary actually comes from two Japanese words. So sai meaning originality or uniqueness. It comes from the Zen vocabulary. And then ori meaning weaving. So together, it's a unique style of weaving. It's an original piece of weaving. And it means that every time you sit at the loom, you're creating something that's a one of a kind. And it just lends itself to such beautiful creativity. And that is what I absolutely love to share with people and empower them to do it. Exactly. And you just get to see everyone's creations. So we'll get to that with how you you make money in this business because it's got some great different ways you do it. I feel like we should set the scene, Prue, of where you run your business from. I know you have some um, little friends and furry friends. So tell us about that. (laughs) I do. So I'm based in regional Victoria, which is, it's a beautiful part of central Victoria. It's a lovely little gold town called Clunes. It's a gorgeous little place. And we relocated up here about 11 years ago from Melbourne because we wanted to find somewhere that was out of burbs, that we could afford, that has that beautiful community and that country feel, fresh open spaces. You know, when we raise a family, we wanted to be able to have our kids running around in the paddocks getting dirty. So that was something that really drew my husband and I out here. It's like a couple of thousand population or something like that. Yeah, it's it's only a tiny little town. It's gorgeous. Everyone knows each other. You know, I love it. You you can never say to anyone, I'm just popping down to town to get some milk. I'll be back in five minutes because hours later, after you've spoken to everyone in the town, you get to go home. So it's beautiful and it's it's such a magical little space. And so we've um, got a property out there and it's a llama farm. Yes. I like half want to call this episode, Prue, how um, making money as a llama farmer, but I'm like, mm, should probably focus on the salary part, but who knows what I'll name. There's a whole other episode in there. Yeah. So yeah, so it's a llama farm and, you know, we started off trying to make it to a beautiful, big, sustainable farm, but the environment up here in Clunes is quite difficult at times. It's very dry. It's very hard to grow lots of leafy greens and that sort of stuff. And so we found after the first couple of years that we weren't going to be doing this extravagant market garden business that we, we both thought we'd start. But hardy animals like llamas and, you know, we had a free range chicken egg business for a while there. So those that we adapted, and we're, we're very good at kind of rolling with the punches And so the llamas, though, were amazing because they're so beautifully gentle on the environment. They're such engaging animals. One of the biggest questions I get is, what's the difference between a llama and an alpaca? And the difference is an alpaca will spit at you and ask questions later and a llama will actually ask your name and want to have a kiss first. So they're more like horses. So they're like big, fluffy horses. Yeah, because they were the beast of burden in South America for 4,000 years. 
So I chose llamas because I wanted an animal that I could have a really engaging kind of interaction with, but something that was also a fibre animal for my weaving. Amazing. So that sort of brought us out to Queens. We became llama farmers and we've sort of put down roots there and we're now, um, it's my husband and I and our little four-year-old daughter. And that's where I base most of my business from. And it, it has its positives. I love it out there. It has its challenges. I mean, the internet, I, I think. <laughs> Come it, on, Australia. Come know, on, Australia. Right? We're on a satellite internet, which means if it's cloudy or if it's raining, there is no internet. Which Victoria is, let's be honest, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so that has been really challenging to actually try to run a business with those kind of challenges. We're also very lucky, though, because it's such a beautiful part of Victoria, it's got a fantastic tourism vibe to it. Um, we're just up the road from Dalesford and the beautiful, you know, um, Trentham where you have your retreat, M. Yes. So we, we're part of that kind of outer edge of spa country. And, and it also allows me to do things like, you know, pop up the road and run my retreat at Dalesford and that sort of stuff at, at Hepburn Springs. So it's, yeah, it's a gorgeous part of the world. It's a beautiful place to base my business. And it just fits in really well with the whole kind of ethic of what we go for of being able to run a business on our property. That was really important to me because moving out here, and we'll talk about this probably a little bit later, but it moved me away from my other career. Well, let's talk about that because I'd love to talk for about like what was the starting point for your own business and what were you doing before? Because I know you've had some pretty amazing careers, jobs in the past. So how did you then get into your own business and what were you doing before? So I think I've used up about five different lifetimes of experiences. Like it's amazing all the different stuff I've managed to squeeze in. So I originally came from the environmental sector. I was a zoologist and a wildlife ecologist. So, you know, I, I went through and did my science degree and then I went out into the world and I did a whole myriad of amazing roles in the environmental sector. So I was a park ranger. I was a wildlife a safari guide. I spent time in a lot of not-for-profit organisations. I managed a National Endangered Species Program for a while. And so a lot of different things that took me all across Australia, all across the world. You know, I've chased orangutan in Borneo. I've worked with turtles and bats and rhinos and all sorts of amazing things. And it's... Like these llamas are a piece of cake. <laughs> it's a lot different to a rhino, I must admit. <laughs> but it was something that I've always been really, really passionate about always following, you know, doing what I love. I think life is far too short to not be able to do what you love. And we're in this really beautiful opportunistic time in our lives, I suppose, and in our society where we can often follow our dreams and do what we want to do and make stuff like that happen. So I've been really lucky to be able to firstly know what I wanted to do and then seek those opportunities, make those opportunities and follow that dream. So, yeah, started off in the environmental career, I talk a lot. And so I had a radio show in Melbourne. I was doing film and TV stuff and just, you know, basically going, right, wow, what do I want to do now? Okay, yeah, I want to do that. That's amazing. Let's do that for a bit. So there was a lot of that in my previous life. And then in addition to all of that, I also had this huge love of Japan and the Japanese language and the culture. I had learnt it. It was compulsory in my high school to do Japanese. So I did it and I loved it. Yeah. And so I continued it all through uni. So, you know, I'd go and do my science stuff and then I'd go over to the arts section and do my Japanese stuff. And so that was always something that bubbled away in the background and I always had an interest in it. But I never had a chance when I threw myself into my zoological career and my environmental career. 
I didn't have a chance to really go to Japan and do any of that and, and actually see the country firsthand. So that was something I always wanted to do. But I wanted to do it for a certain amount of time. I wanted to go over there for a, a longer amount of time, not just a holiday. And so when I was in my late 20s, I realized that if I want to go over and work over there and have a working holiday visa, I better get going pretty quickly because there's a time limit on that. Mm. So I threw in all of my jobs in the environmental sector. I had about five jobs at the time. I was crazy. Yeah. Threw in all my stuff booked a ticket and I started working at a ski resort in Hokkaido in the north of Japan. And that was fantastic because it gave me a chance to be in a beautiful location in Japan. I got to, you know, use my Japanese skills and I got to see firsthand, you know, some of the culture and, and, and the beautiful part of the country. And at the end of that season, I then realised that I hadn't seen anything else in Japan and so I volunteered my way around Japan for the next two wow. years. Oh, my goodness. And I just went where the wind took me. I joined up a, a program which was called Woofing, which was Willing Workers on Organic Farms. Oh, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. Tell you what, it's such a great way, you know, when we all get a chance to go on a plane again and go somewhere, it's such a great way to see a country because what it is, the premise is that you offer this organisation or this the Woofing host six to eight hours of your time and in return they give you free food and accommodation. Awesome. But in Japan, it's so much more. Like there were places like you could go and stay at a temple. And if you, you know, cleaned the temple and did a bit of gardening, then the monks there would give you free food and accommodation, lessons on meditation if you want. Oh, wow. There was a place I went to that was a Yabusame stable. Now, Yabusame is the traditional horseback archery that they do in Japan. And so if you go and muck out a few stalls and brush a few horses, they will teach you Yabusame. Oh, my God. You know, so it's so many different places. And so I just crisscrossed my way across this incredible country and I made sure I got to places I would never have seen on a tourist track. And I got to places where I couldn't use English. Like there were places where people were very Japanese and I was the only blondie in the village. And, you know, cars would just stop. And while I was walking along these little country roads, I looked like probably some what alien. What is that? <laughs> yeah. So it was an amazing experience. And while I was traveling around there, I was living on an island in the inland sea of Japan. And the people I was, I was living with, I was helping them out at their bar on the beach and doing some sea kayak guiding and stuff. And they said, look, we're going to shut down for the summer, but our friend in the mountains needs help building a pizza oven. Do you think you might want to do that? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I can build a pizza oven. Yeah, no worries. I actually had an ulterior motive. I wanted to go into the mountains to find this Japanese animal called tanuki. Now, tanuki is a raccoon dog. Like if a small fluffy dog and a raccoon had a love child, that's what tanuki is. Is that scary? I feel like I'd be a little scared of that animal. No, they're really cute. They're like super cute. And I really wanted to see one. So I said, yeah, sure. I'd love to go in the mountains. So I packed my bags, headed off into the mountains. And when I arrived at the address, it's this tiny little village in the middle of nowhere. Like there's just mountainous mm. forest on each oh side, tiny little valley, one road in, one road out. It follows the little meandering creek. And the place I turn up to is this beautiful old schoolhouse. And so this is where I knock on the door to build this pizza oven. And there's only like five houses in the village and this schoolhouse in the middle. And so I, I go there and... What it actually is, is so unfortunately, as with many places in the world, in these tiny little hamlets and towns, the younger population move away. The older population end up kind of dying off and you end up having, there weren't enough kids to go to the school anymore. 
And so the local government said, well, look, if we offer this school up to someone to look after, they just make sure the building doesn't fall down. They can do whatever they like with it. And a couple had moved out and had turned this beautiful old schoolhouse into this arts and crafts village. And so this is where I turned up to make a pizza oven. And so I stayed there for a number of months. I helped them with their activities in the schoolhouse. And the woman who runs it is this most amazing woman. And she was one of the first sari weaving teachers in Japan. And as a thank you for helping her, she taught me sari weaving. And I'd never heard of it before. I'd never done any kind of crafty textile creativity before. My poor mother had tried to teach me how to knit a thousand times. Never worked. Oh, yeah. We'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> Try salary weaving. It's so much easier. But I was hooked because I was also at a time in my life, in my kind of my late 20s, where I'm like trying to work out who I am. Oh, yeah. Where I want to go too. in my life. Yeah. And here at the loom, I could actually sit and get into that space of that kind of meditative thought. And then on top of that, I ended up making this incredible cloth that I turned into clothing. And now I'm wearing this beautiful, tangible meditation of my time at the loom. And so I was instantly hooked. I thought it was the best thing ever. And so I stayed there for a number of months and I helped her teach sari weaving. Um, I, you know, just soaked up all of this knowledge and, and all this inspiration. And then I came home to Australia but my mentor gifted me my first sari loom to bring home. Oh, my gosh. And there were no other sari looms in Australia back then. I was the only one. And for me, I went, came back to Australia and I went back into the environmental sector and I ended up being in a very, very stressful job for a not-for-profit organisation where there's not much money but there's a lot of work to do in the environment and there's a lot of animals to save. And it gave me a stress illness just trying to keep the ship together. And so Sari was my saviour. I would go home at night and I would weave and I would just get rid of the day's stress. And it really just kind of kept me going. And it got to a point where I had people coming to me and going, oh, my goodness, what are you doing? Can I learn that? That looks amazing. How do I get one of these looms? And so I had a chat with, you know, this happened for a couple of years. I had a chat with my mentor back in Japan because I also was very lucky to be able to go back to Japan every year as part of my job in the environmental sector and I would always tack on a couple of extra weeks of to like go and see my mentor, yes. you know, and just get another dose. And is this of- the lady, your mentor is the lady that you met in that up in the mountains? Yes. So I would go back to the mountains, the Arts and Crafts Village, at the end of my conservation, I used to run conservation programs over in Japan as part of my role. And I'd go and see Toyomi-san and she would, you know, just fulfill me with all this new inspiration and it was beautiful. And eventually I said to her, look, Tayomi, I think I want to teach salary over in Australia. And she said, well, yeah, cool. Well, you should go and talk to, of course, the head of the salary organisation. You talk to Masao Sensei, who developed the whole craft, and see what she says. And I said, yeah, cool. So I actually had my husband with me at the time because I wanted to show him Japan. I took him to the headquarters of salary. And they knew that I'd been doing sari weaving in Australia for about eight years by this stage. And they said, I said, look, I really want to be a teacher. And they said, that's great. We know you've been doing a lot of wonderful work. But if you want to be a sari teacher and you want to spread the the philosophy of sari and talk about sari and teach sari, we need to make sure that you live and breathe the principles of sari weaving. So you have to come back to us and you have to train with us for at least a month. You have to live with us, eat with us, breathe with us, learn from us. Oh, my God. And at the end of that time, there is no guarantee you will be a sari weaving teacher. It's whether we think you are part of our family. 
I came in with a really Western way of thinking that I just yeah. come in, sign a contract. Give me the certificate. Yeah. Yeah, right. And instead, no, of course, it's Japanese. And Japanese is all about integrity and honour and relationship. And so I said, right, well, I really want to do this. So I said, I can't stay now, obviously. I've got to go back to work tomorrow at home in Australia, but I'll come back. Got to go. Got to go, but I'll be back. And I jumped on the plane with my husband the next day and I turned to him and I said, I really want to do this. You know, I love the stuff that I'm doing in the environment. I really feel that this is a calling for me. And so he said, well, look, go and have a chat to the HR department tomorrow when you get back into to work and see if maybe you could get like, I said, look, you know, work's kind of in my way. Like I need to pair back a little bit on, on what I'm, I'm doing. I'm kind of getting in my way here. What I actually want to do. So I said, you know, he said, look, go and chat to HR department, see if maybe you can get a day off a week or you could save up all of your leave to go back into your training or whatever it needs to be. So I walked into work the next day and HR tapped me on the shoulder and they said, we need to have a chat. And I went, yes, well, I've been away for three weeks. So, you know, we, I've actually got a question to ask you. And they sat me down and they said, yeah, so unfortunately the funding for your role has dried up. So you've been made redundant. There's the door. Wow. Uh, what did you want to ask us? And I was like, <laughs> you know. Don't worry uh, about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So it was this amazing kind of serendipitous time where I realised that the universe was helping me shut one door and open another. And do you know what, Prue? Like when I went, right, I'm going to quit my job and go out on my own. And mum was like, "Have you just like asked to go part-time? And the answer was no. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm doing it anyway. And for you, you were like, I'm just going to kind of like scale back a bit on work. And then you were told, okay, you're basically we've got no more funding for your position. Because this is a big move to then be like, okay, instead of going and getting another job, or maybe you did go get a job or a part-time, okay, and then, you, yeah, you went fully into what you're doing. And this is huge and takes courage, but also belief, don't you think, that I can make this happen? Absolutely. And I love to throw these words back into my husband's face sometimes because I remember saying to him, I want to start a business where I'm teaching weaving. And initially he kind of went, you can't make money from that. No one's going to want to do that. So everyone listening, hear that because... We have to have the belief, no matter like our most special loved people in our lives, they're not always going to have the vision as us, are they? No, that's right. And we have to stay true to that vision and stay true to our convictions. And I think just he just didn't see it. He didn't see the power of it that I did because he wasn't doing it, you know, and it wasn't his passion. And he didn't realize that I knew that there were people out there that I could connect with, that I could empower, that I could teach. There was an audience out there that my business could readily service and I could do a really good job of it. And so sometimes, yeah, even our nearest and dearest are the ones who kind of go, oh, pump the brakes a bit. You know, I think you're, you're jumping in a bit too fast, but sometimes it's the best thing because then you sink or you swim. And it gives you that drive to really make a really this good goal. This is the thing. Yeah. Like, because we have to make it work. It's like, well, got no job so have to make it work versus maybe staying in the job and being like one day I'm going to leave this and then we've got no deadline we've got no urgency we've got no real need yes I I look back and I think the best thing that did happen was that they they turfed me out the door because I think I would have lived in both worlds for quite a while it was kind of well you know I've got this kind of steady income and I can kind of keep doing that just on the side and I would never have expanded it and really done as much as I've done with dying to weave 
if I hadn't have been able to just do it all myself and just devote 120% to it. It was a fantastic opportunity and it just helped me really launch the, the business. So it was really wonderful. And look, also, it was really great too because, you know, once I left and I made the choice, you know, not to go and find another full-time job or, you know, try to do that, I then also looked at programs that could support me in starting my business. And so that's really good too. If you are thinking of making the leap, have a look to see what other support there might be for you to help you do that. So there was a government program at the time that was helping people start their own businesses. And as part of that program, they put me through business training. They, you know, paid money for me each at this, you know, a little bit of money each fortnight so that I could focus on starting this business, which was amazing. It was such a great kickstart to be able to just focus and not feel like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm eating dirt sandwiches again because I don't have another income. <laughs> yes. So, you know, it was it was good like that. It was really good in that sense. Be resourceful. Yeah. And see, okay, well, what is out there to support me? I don't have to do this alone. There's so many opportunities for me to learn, to find support and all of that type of thing. I would love now, Prue, to look at, like, you've got some amazing revenue streams or different pillars in your business. Do you want to explain what they are and take us through an order from when the first one, like what you started with and now the whole scope of what you offer now and basically how you make money in the business and how you were like, I can do this. When I first started the business, it was more about workshops. It was me being a teacher and teaching sari weaving because that was for me what people were coming to me and wanting to learn. And that is the very start of a lot of people's interaction with me. You know, they'll often see me demonstrating sari weaving at a festival or an event or online. And then I think the power of sari, though, is when people get to sit at the loom and actually do it. Because when someone's watching someone else do something, they can kind of get it in their head that it's, oh, it's way too complicated for me to do it. I couldn't possibly. But once they sit down at the loom and they see just how incredibly freaking simple it is, and how beautifully meditative it is and relaxing. They're like, oh, actually, I need to do this. And I, I feel a bit like a drug dealer sometimes when I sit people down at the loom. Come I try some. <laughs> giving them a little bit of a try and then I see that little, you know, spark in their eye and I'm like, right, you know, you, this is for you. So workshops were certainly my first iteration of my business. And I was very lucky to have a space in our township in Clunes. I had a space made available that I could teach at. So that was really great. And then eventually I had people who, once they were at the loom, going, well, I need one of these at home. Like I have to be doing this in my lounge room or my studio or I can't, I just want to do this, you know, anywhere I am. So then I was able to extend my, my teaching into being a licensed importer and accredited distributor, a licensed distributor for these looms. So that was kind of the, the next big thing was when I was able to start importing the equipment. And the equipment is so incredibly beautifully made. It's very Japanese and it's very unique. There are no other looms out there like it. They are so beautifully made. And so it's like this one product that I just get from Sauri and I know that it's an amazing product and I have such a close relationship with that organisation and with, the, you know, the, the president is like, you know, my surrogate grandpa. Yeah. yeah. And so I import the looms and all the equipment. I sell yarns. And we have the warps for the looms so that you can buy them pre-wound. So there's a whole lot of different equipment that goes with the loom. And that's really great because that gives me a flow on income from, it's not just a single sale. Yes, 
Exactly. It's that ongoing consumables that people are buying as well, which is really lovely. So smart. And I was talking about this in our workshop yesterday, I think, in the Modern Marketing Collective about our offers and how it's so good. Like once someone buys from us once, we then build up that trust, that connection, that relationship. Like how can we continue to serve them? So I love that it really organically happened for you, Pri. You started with teaching the workshops and then people like, okay, well, how do I get these products? And you're like, let me help you with that. I get a lot out of it too, because I then get to watch their Sari journey as well. Yes. And, Isn't it and I get inspired. It's great. I get inspired by what they're doing, but I have this ongoing and in your right, it's like, if you've got someone who's bought from you in the past, the, the fantastic likelihood that they're going to keep buying from you and keep being a loyal customer is wonderful. And of course, you know, you work at that and you develop that relationship with them and it can just go on for years. And, years. and some of my most amazing people in my life have come from being my students, seeing me at, say, the Lost Trades Fair, coming to a workshop and then buying a loom. And so what I try to do when I sell the loom to people is I try to give them insane value with that loom. I want to make sure that no one is floundering with their loom. And so when I sell a loom, I offer like a one-on-one session. Come to the studio. I'm going to take you through everything about the loom. We're going to thread your first warp up together. I want you to make sure you are so happy and confident doing that at home. Also, because I don't want someone to call me at two o'clock in the morning and go, oh, God, what about my loom? Anyway, so I do that. And so because of that, people go, oh, my goodness, this person actually cares if I'm successful with this bit of equipment. And so that relationship is kind of this reciprocal relationship where I care that they're actually happy with their product and they in turn keep coming back to me because of that no like trust factor. Absolutely. So that then flowed on into wanting to support my clients and my, my Loom customers and owners out there right across Australia in, in their ongoing salary journey. So how do I keep supporting them? How do I keep motivating them? How do I keep giving them guidance? How do I keep engaging them to buy products from me? How does all that work? And so I ended up developing a membership program that's only available to my Loom owners. I love it. And imagine all of them meeting these other people. Like there's so much power in that. And I know that this is what you find. Like they just love connecting with other people that have this passion. Yes, absolutely. And that is one of the strongest things about Sari Weaving is because everything is so, like you're not all doing the same pattern. You're doing your own amazing creativity. It's so inspiring to see what other people are doing. And I see that every time I have a workshop, every time I have run a workshop, I'll have five people in the class they will all make something, they'll have the same access to the same teacher, which is me. They have access to the same yarns, they're on the same loom, but every single piece is different. And they're all so inspired by what's going on around them. They'll look over and go, oh, oh I love that colour. How did you do that? Or I love that texture. And now I've taken that to a community level through the Facebook group that I have, the closed Facebook group, the membership. People are now able to do that right across Australia. And that was so incredibly important during the pandemic. And this is the thing, this was a shift for you during the lockdowns. You're like, I can no longer run my workshops. I can no longer, you know, do that in person, a little bit limited. And it it kind of prompted you, I would say, to then take that leap into the membership. It certainly did. And it was something that was bubbling away in my head. You know, I really wanted a way to be able to engage my customers. But to be honest, at the time, I was too busy dealing with my customers one-on-one. Yes, my time is limited, but I don't know how to change that. Yes. And of course, then the pandemic stopped all that face-to-face customer interaction. And now suddenly I didn't have a way 
to give someone their loom and give them the in-person training. So I had to develop all these kind of training videos and just give them a way for them to be able to take this loom home. And I literally had these like dodgy front door kind of pickups and drop-offs happening. Yes. Where people would come to my farm and, you know, kind of get their loom put in the car and You'll I'd wave, wave out the, the window. window. Yeah. Yes. Or for some people, you know, I then had to work out the best way to ship these looms across Australia because there is only three of us in Australia who are, who are selling these products. And so I've got people in the far-flung reaches of Western Australia and Queensland and, you know, up north, down south, they're everywhere. And they need to all be able to have their loom but also be supported with the training. So the membership was kind of born from that, which was absolutely wonderful. And I actually found that it was such a great way to re-engage a lot of customers that I'd kind of lost track of. So I'd sold them a loom and they went and took their loom home. And then I kind of had sort of lost contact with them over six months, a year, two years. And so when I emailed them and said, look, I emailed everyone on my salary owners, loom owners list. And I said, hey, guys, here's this thing I'm going to start. Would you like to join? And it's an ongoing membership for a year and this is what we're going to cover and this is the kind of thing we're going to do. And I had so many people contact me and say, oh, my goodness, I am so glad that you contacted me because I have absolutely forgotten everything that you told me two years ago. And, and I haven't touched the loom much since I'm, and I just I would never have gone back to it. And instead, I now feel like I will have the confidence to get back into it. And so I've now been able to re-engage people with this mindful craft that they wanted to do and to keep them supported in doing that. And that's something I really get out of the membership now is seeing those people getting back into the craft changing their lives in many ways. You know, I've, I've had Sari Loom owners who have been in really dark places with depression or with grief or with anxiety. And they've been able to use that Sari weaving experience to work through that. And so that's been really, really wonderful to be able to re-engage certain people in that craft and to see the power of Sari. It's been really wonderful to do that. Absolutely. And I love that you, you started it out of like when we always look at kind of the service and what the problem is and how we can support people, it just makes it so powerful. And I love, I really love how you offered when someone purchased from you, you offered, okay, well, come and let me teach you because you're preempting the problems, the challenges, the questions that might stop them or cause yeah more challenges for them. So you preempted them and kind of ironed that out for them. And also it was smart for you because you're like, let's just sit down this one time and then you don't have to keep emailing or contacting me. And then with the membership, it's like, okay, how can I continue to inspire and bring together and teach these people that have purchased the loom and the products and continue to build that over time? And it was like, let's bring them all together. And I do think there's so much power. I think people like to think that one-on-one is better somehow than group, but you've really said it yourself. If they were working with you one-on-one, they miss out on seeing the other creations from so many other people. It's like in my programs, it's like you get to see what other people are asking. People get to see, oh my gosh, that was, I never even thought about that proof. And so I, I really like people to think about their real power and the immeasurable value that group offers us when we are in that space alongside other people that have that passion, a like-minded that we can find inspiration from. It's so true. And it's something that like the community aspect of my membership is probably one of the most powerful aspects. Yes, It's bringing people together because they're such beautiful supporters for each other. And so they want to share their wins. It's a great forum for them to be able to ask questions and check in and people want to be part of something. 
Exactly. People love being part of a community. They love being part of, you know, connecting with other people. And I think even more so over the last two years of craziness that we've dealt with, that, that connection with people, regardless of if it's in person or online, is so important for our species. And so that's something that I've found is it's one of the most powerful things. Like if I had just run this membership and not done, say, a Facebook group where people could connect and come together as a group, I don't think people would be getting half the amount of value out of it because it's very much about being able to connect with other people. And, and I find it the same with the Modern Marketing Collective, like being able to jump on the Facebook group and celebrate the wins of other people as well, like going, oh, wow, that's amazing. And it, it buoys me up and goes, oh, anything's possible. This could be possible for me. You know, it's such a fantastic way to be able to be inspired in your own business and feel supported in your business. And community is such a huge part of that. And overcome the loneliness and isolation. And when we're kind of by ourselves, we're like, am I doing this right? Gosh, I, I suck or I can't do this. And when we can be around other people and put ourselves in those places, I'm sure like your community, it's just brings more positivity, more possibilities as well. It's like, well, maybe it is possible. Exactly like you said. Absolutely. So Prue, I would love to hear like what marketing has worked really, really well for you. Certainly for me, because um, Sowery is such a fantastic image-driven kind of craft, you know. So the reason that I think so many people are now discovering Sowery weaving and have an interest in it is because of things like social media, where we're sharing Pinterest, we're sharing Instagram, Facebook. So those types of social media are really powerful for my business. You know, I'm not huge on Twitter. I'm not huge on LinkedIn. For me, it's very much about that sharing of imagery. And you're really good at the videos too. And just be like, I'm just unpacking. I saw, I was watching one just before we came on with your beautiful daughter and you were unpacking the warps and the yarns and um, your daughter's in the background, like, mom, I've got chicken poo on my boot. You're like, honey, I think it's just probably like a bit of dirt. That's okay. Like, (laughs) It's so good. Yeah, it's the great thing about, you know, like I love video. I love it. But you always have the danger that your four-year-old is going to come on and talk about chicken poo for the next 10 minutes, <laughs> which might add to the charm. And I'm I very lucky. It. I was like, this is just real. Let's not be like <laughs> trying so to make real. this all like, I don't know, polished. Let's just be real. And I bet your audience love it. It's like, oh, thank God I'm not the only one. And I must admit, I have a very supportive audience. You know, they, they generally tend to be the kinds of people who don't mind a small person coming on and <laughs> yabbering about something quite irrelevant um, or getting stuck in. Like, then I try to get her to actually help me with stuff. You, know, hey, you, you want to show them these yarns? And, you know, little, you know, four-year-old gusto, she, she certainly does. So, yeah, so certainly those forms of social media have been so powerful for my business and I'm always striving to do more of that and I always feel like I'm never doing enough. I think we all do and that's for everyone listening. Oh, like there's always more we can be doing, so let's be nice to ourselves, recognise like where we were a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. That's absolutely true and certainly from what I've been, you know, from the stuff that I've been doing through your training, Emily, with the Modern Marketing Collective, it's it's been great because it has really helped me get a real sense of how to market really powerfully with social media, particularly Instagram. I was such an Insta newbie before I started and, in fact, the only reason I actually started at one point was because an event I was teaching at insisted that we all had Instagram handles. And I was like, oh, I was doing Facebook mm, I don't at the time. want to. If I have to, it's just another channel. 
I kind of felt like that. I was like, oh, God, now I have to get my head around another thing. And isn't, isn't Facebook where we're all at now? What's, what's this Instagram thing going on? What's your answer to that, Prue? Are you like, well, not really because Instagram is where everyone's at. What would you say to people that maybe think that? Yeah. it's it, Well, and look, it's an evolving thing because sometimes, you know, once upon a time, Facebook was where it's at. But for now, definitely Instagram is where it's at because it's such a platform with so many different aspects to it that we can utilise for our marketing, whether it's video, whether it's reels, you know, whether it's posts, whether it's lives, and it's got so much power, so much power. And I've sort of, you know, I'm converted Instagram. Look at you, look at you go. (laughs) It's all your fault, Emily, I love it. (laughs) So, yeah, so Instagram for me has been really wonderful and it's certainly brought people to me. It's also helped me connect with other salary weavers as well right across the world. You know, there's quite a lot of Sari people now in the United States. So that's been really wonderful to get inspiration from them as well. So yes, that social media platform for me is really, really useful. I also do email marketing. Let's talk about that because I know you've had some awesome results from that. Either when you've done the personal outreach, I think when you open the membership, you're like, oh my God, I just had this many people join. And then also when you do find, when you do send an email, then you do see things happening after it. So yeah, what tell us a little bit about that. I do. So I've always collected email addresses since day one. I've always kind of, you know, when I was teaching my workshops, I'm like, oh, you know, sign up and you can find out when new workshops are happening. And it's been such an important aspect of my business. And of course, it's really good to have because they're your contacts you get to use. You know, you don't reliance on another platform. Yes. Or the algorithm. You can just slip straight into the inbox and be like, hey, it's Prue here. Just reminding you. So that's been really wonderfully important. And look, I must admit, again, it's something that I'm always striving to do as well as I can. And it's certainly something that I'm still tweaking. It used to freak me out. And I actually, it's really funny because I used to get really scared about emailing because I had email addresses in my email newsletter list that were from like seven years ago. They've moved on since then. They thought Sarah was a good thing seven years ago. Their life's moved on. They may not be interested. And I used to almost be in tears when I would send out an email to my list and I'd get unsubscribed. And I used to take it so personally. And I just had to keep saying to myself, they're just not my people. Their life has moved on a little bit or their situation has changed. And that's okay. That is okay. Good way of thinking. Because it's like, it's not personal. Maybe a couple might be. They're like, oh, she's, I don't know, whatever. But it's, I love that you're like, they've just moved on. Like they no, no longer need what I have. They no longer want it. That's totally fine. And that's a good thing for me because I don't want to be banging the drum at people who don't want to hear it. You know, I only want people who want to hear what I have to say, who are interested in buying from me, who are interested in engaging with me. If they want to unsubscribe themselves, that is cool. And this, is, this has been such a process for me to come to grips with this. Because it used to be, it used to actually prevent me from sending out an email because I'm like, oh, people have just unsubscribed and I'll lose more subscribers. And But I was thinking of it completely the wrong way around. Now I actually welcome it. I'm like, you know what? If you want to unsubscribe, that's fine. We're obviously not a good fit anymore. You saying that is going to help so many people listening that it can hold us back. It's like, <gasps> what if someone unsubscribes? <gasps> so thank you for sharing that. It's very relatable. It's a hard thing to overcome because we don't like rejection. But at the same time, we want to be able to really hone in on who we want to help the most and who wants to engage with us. 
And so for me, email marketing is something that I'm continually working on and developing, but I'm really loving because I've got my audience and they're whittling down whether they're doing it or whether I'm doing it, but they're whittling down to the people who are going to engage with me the most, who are going to buy from me, who are interested in following my journey or being involved with me in some way. So that's been really good. And I'm still tweaking that, you know, because I used to be very like, oh my goodness, I've only got a day to do this and I haven't done it in such a long time. And so my emails used to end up being these newsletter style because I literally hadn't had a chance to do anything for four months. And I was like, look, it's autumn. And the last time I sent something out was summer. So it's this autumn newsletter. And then suddenly it's winter and I'm like, oh, it's the winter. How often do you email now, Prue? What's kind of, do you have a bit of a schedule? I'm still working on it. To be honest, not often enough. What I want to do, and this is something that I've, I've loved with some of the trainings that you've been doing, is changing my thinking to, you know what, this is just a conversation. I'm having this lovely casual conversation with someone. It's not like a, an all-in-one information of what's going on for the next three formal, months. It formal, does it? It's no, not, no, yeah. that's right. And mine was just more of a case of, oh, gosh, you know, I've only got you know, this amount of time. Here's what's coming up in the studio for the next couple of months. Here's what was great in the studio the last couple of months. And so it ended up being a bit kind of like a newsletter, but I really want to be sending out more of a consistent kind of touching base with people, sharing a bit of information, offering them value, letting them know, you know, not having it all in one, but dribbling it out. And exactly. And also when we put it all in one, I find it can be overwhelming because there's too much in there for people to then take action on. I know when I have really long ones, I'm like, Oh, I'll just look at that later because I can't process that right now. Whereas if we keep it succinct, think of our core content, it's like, let's just serve them with that and then we'll be more likely to read it, engage it and then take action. That's right. One of the other things I'm really wanting to work on and, and something that I found has been really helpful is being more proactive in planning out like promotions and stuff like that. So, okay, I've got a retreat coming up and my retreats do tend to book out pretty quickly, but, you know, if I want to, you know, bang the drum for a bit of spots or, or tell people it's coming up just being able to pop into their inboxes and say hey guys you know I've got three more places on my retreat who wants to come away for four days and immerse themselves in amazing Japanese creativity in the most amazing Japanese environment in Hepburn Springs I get fantastic responses to those emails you know like at the start of the year I sent an email out and it was it was advertising I'm running five retreats this year I used to run one, but they're so bloody popular that now I just have to keep putting more of them on. Yeah, which is, uh, it's incredible and it's such a beautiful experience. So, yeah, so now, you know, I sort of started at the start of the year and I was pooing myself a little bit because I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I'm going to try to run five retreats and I kind of do it because I know that there's a backlog of people who couldn't come on my retreats during 2020 and 21. So I still have these people who have carried their dates over and gone, well, when's your next one? But then I also have to kind of accept that I'll have new people who want to come. And in fact, they probably want to come now more than ever. A, because it's very hard to get to Japan and this place that we stay at, the most amazing Japanese traditional accommodation in central Victoria. Yeah. By the way, Peru runs immersions to Japan. Like, Oh, yeah. And I do that too. We haven't mentioned that. (laughs) So much. But yeah, so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to have to take a leap of faith that I will be able to fill five retreats this year. And I'm just going to put it out there. And so I hit that send button and I had brown trousers on. You know, it was just like, I hope this is going to work. And three of them booked out like within a 
day. Like I just got all of these ping, 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 ping. Yeah, I want to come on the retreat. Here's my blah, 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 blah. And so I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, well, maybe I need to do seven retreats a year. <laughs> what was I thinking? Five isn't enough. <laughs> it was part of your $2,000 challenge. Too. Yes, I love it. So I did a, there's a challenge when you join the collective and Prue's been there for like three years. Yeah, nearly three. I was actually going to check. I love it. So everyone gets access to it now. But when you join, I give you the challenge, like make $2,000. Let's do it. Like, let's actually commit to this. So Prue, I think you took it up. You're like, yeah, cool. I can do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I totally jumped in and went, right. Okay. So I need to sell some looms if I'm going to do that. And the looms, they're not cheap. They sell for $2,500, but it's a big commitment for people. And so I thought, you know what? I just, if I can sell one that I've I've done my $2,000, great. And I put it out there and I said, you know, here's the thing. Here's the loom package I offer. Here's all the value I offer. Here's the price. And I had like four loom sales. Oh, my God. It was a wonderful start to the year. And and that was brilliant too because I hurt my back over Christmas. And I was really, really physically like incapable of doing anything. And it was just really nice to at least be able to sit at my computer, send out this email and suddenly have this wonderful response. So I was, yeah, doing some very um, careful celebrating. Yeah, not moving. Prue's like not moving too much, just kind of a little fist pump. Yeah, I was not doing cartwheels for that, but it felt like it. So, yeah, so email marketing has been so powerful for my business because it's really been a way that I connect directly with my audience. They don't have to sort through a thousand other Instagram posts. They know who I am. They've signed up. They've they've actively engaged me in some way and asked to give, you know, they've given me my details, their details. And so they are already halfway there. And all I'm doing is going, hey, how, what can I offer you? Exactly. Oh, I love how you describe that. Yeah. They're like, they want to hear from you. This is the thing people forget. They're like, oh, I don't want to annoy people. Or It's like, people want to hear from you. That's why they're on your email list. And if they don't, they can unsubscribe, but be like Prue, be like Prue and talk about how you can help them hey, here's what I have coming up. Here's the value of it. An amazing response for you to be like, oh my gosh, like what just happened? So good. It was a really nice start to the year. It was a really good win for the very start to the year and and kind of then set the tone with, oh, you know what? 2022, let's do this. Like this is possible. And that's been something that has been challenging over the last couple of years because coming through a pandemic, you know, selling something that I remember at the start of the pandemic, I'm like, am I, am I going to have a business at the end of this? Are people going to want to spend money on a hobby like this? But I actually found that probably luckily for me, people wanted and needed to actually have a mindful creativity. Oh, my out. gosh, 100%. Yeah. Sorry, it didn't hold me back at all, which was lovely. The only thing was I just had to adapt how I engage my customers and how I got them their products and services. And so, yeah, sorry, it's some... Um, I've been very lucky with um, with being able to engage my audiences in in a really good way and for them to to respond to it really wonderfully. And adapt. Prue, I'd love you to share what some of your biggest learnings that you would love them to know. Maybe it's like mindset shifts, different approaches, and you've actually shared some today about shifting the way that you look at how you actually approach email marketing, looking at how you can create community through your social media. But any other learnings from the Modern Marketing Collective that you're like, if people knew this, I think it would serve them really well that you'd like to share with the listeners. As business owners, we have to be across so much of our businesses and we are. We're the social media marketing person. We're the finance person. We're the everything person. We're the product Operations. Da, 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 da. And, you know, there's so many different elements that we, we have to be across and we want to be able to do it well. 
what I've loved is getting a lot of clarity in a lot of those different elements, being the most efficient I can at it and making it the best it can be. So even, you know, being able to overhaul and have a look at my Instagram and go, right, what's working well, what's not working well? How can I get the most out of this platform? And so going through the trainings, you're going, well, okay, I need to be engaging with people once I post. I need to make sure that I'm responding to inquiries. I want to look at my grid and is this the most effective kind of layout for this? And this is what I've loved about being able to also get feedback on that. You offer such amazing support and feedback and you can also ask the group as well. And it's really wonderful to see lots of fresh eyes, but also some of the like the real nitty gritty stuff. Like I am horrendous at my finances. Like, honestly, I have people contact me going, did you want to be paid? I'm very Japanese in how I do things. In Japan, we have this honor system where we like, we'll invoice you once you get your goods. But also understanding my numbers. That's been one of my biggest takeaways is getting an understanding of my metrics and being able to know, because I used to just have to, I just used to think I had to hustle, 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 because I really didn't have any idea how much I was coming in. Which is so common. Yeah. And I just knew that, okay, well, I'm not living in destitute poverty, so I'm obviously making some sort of money. must be okay. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know exactly how much. And it, it actually got to a point where I nearly got into a bit of trouble because the year I had Alara, the year I had my, my baby, I thought, well, my business is not going to do much. Like it's probably not going to go very far and do very much. And before that, I wasn't registered for GST because I was still, I was earning less than 75000 That's fine. What I didn't realise is over that year when I had my baby, I actually brought in much more than I thought I did. But of course, I wasn't doing my tax and tracking my finances until well at the end of that oh, financial gosh. year. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my God, I have to go find this GST money. Yeah. yeah. And like register for GST. Like my accountant's like, hey, you're, you're yes. not registered, are you? And I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> no. Didn't think that was happening this year when I had the baby. <laughs> but that's been, you know, part of the journey is being able to adapt the business around, you know, having my baby as well and finding that capacity. So being able to track the numbers and being much more clear about how my business is is going and tracking and being able to go okay this is what I'm getting this is you know what I want to be getting this is how far off I am or can I put my feet up for now can I go and have a cup of tea because I've hit that target yes so for me some of the fantastic learnings about finances and tracking those those metrics has been fantastic price points I think we're all really horrendous at trying to yes remember we chatted the other day I'm like ooh. Ooh, but I'll never tell you like what to charge because you know you have to feel into that don't you like what do I feel comfortable pricing this at yeah you do you do and look for some of my products and services I'm actually quite lucky in the sense that my recommended retail prices are all set yes so you don't ever ever even have to think about it it's like well that's no. what it is and I I can't control that that's just what they say I mean if I wanted to I could add more to it but I struggle with the membership price sometimes but that's something that I just, as the program builds, as the value builds, as the community builds, that's something that I can really feel into and go, okay, where do I feel we are now? And I know certainly for you with the Modern Marketing Collective, the price that people are paying now is yes. not the price that we started with. Totally. Because I wasn't there. My confidence wasn't there. It wasn't even created. And then over time, I'm like, you know what? I think it's worth this. Now the year goes on. I'm like, God, there's so much more in there now. It's definitely worth this. 
and we can absolutely build. and that's the thing it's this incremental it's this addition of value particularly with things like services that you might provide and as you get more confident in what you're offering as you develop more and more into your packages or your memberships the price you know it has to kind of follow the amount of value that you're offering as well so that's certainly something that has been really wonderful learning from the modern marketing collective as well so look there's so many different aspects of my business that i've been able to by going through the trainings really tighten up and really understand better and really make efficient and effective so i'm still there and of course you know then after a while you're like you know what i want to revisit that first part again because my business has changed a little bit now and now I have this membership thing and maybe I want to go back and, okay, if I'm going to market my membership, let's go back to my messaging for my membership and let's go back to that training. So it's something that, you know, you can kind of keep going back and revising and changing and tweaking and adapting as your business grows and flows. Thank you, Prue. And thanks for sharing that. And I just like, you were so wise and smart and I love the way you describe things. And I could like also just listen to your stories all day. I just know you've got like a million more to share. So thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your amazing business, your sari weaving, the fact that you teach it, you bring people together in person and online more so now. You you have these amazing workshops, retreats coming up. So everyone check that out. And also you sell the products and you're one in three people in Australia that has been really given the approval, brought into that family to do so. So pretty incredible. And I love that. Also, it's such a niche and it's creative. And it's selling to consumers. So all of those things together, and it's like when you started your business and perhaps there were people that were like, oh, should you really be doing that? I don't think there's any money in that. It's like, just let me do this. Just you stand back for a second. Yep. Let me go forth. I have. Yeah. And that's the thing, like being a super niche business can be very scary at times, but also it can really help you focus because you're not so scattered. You, you know exactly what you're concentrating on. And it's enabled me to, yeah, to run a six-figure business. It's enabled me for my husband to not have to work anymore and to be able to spend a lot of time at our property because, you know, my business is, is at that point now where it can support us. And that's such a special thing. We've paid off our mortgage. True, what the hell? Yeah, like, you know, if you really focus on it and, you know, really make a go of it, anything is possible. Well, thank you so much for being here. I adore working with you. So where can everyone go to find you, connect with you, come to a retreat, find out more? Please do come to a retreat. They are so magical. You are literally stepping into Japan, but without needing the passport near. And you just get to immerse in Japanese crafts for four days in the most incredible surroundings. So people can find me on Instagram at dying to weave and that's d-y-e-i-n-g as in natural dying i'm on facebook i'm on instagram the website is dyingtoweave.com.au and you'll find all the information there about what sari weaving is all about the retreats of course once we start getting on planes and going overseas a bit more i'll be running my japanese immersive crafts tours over in japan and they are just incredible. I take people back to that tiny little mountain village no. where you go and stay at that beautiful arts and crafts village. And it is just wonderful. So, yeah. And then I've got a studio based in Melbourne. So I've got a Melbourne-based studio in Brunswick East. And then I've also got my place in central Victoria. So llama hugs are free when you come out to the studio. Definitely going out to that studio. <laughs> yeah, it's good fun. The llamas often come into the studio and check out what oh you're doing. So. And check out Prue's Instagram for llama, llama adventures. Yes, there's so much happening out there. So much happening. And 
come and check out Saturday Wedding. I also go to different events. So I've got, you know, things like Lost Trades Fair. That's a big event coming up in Victoria, um, bringing together a whole lot of beautiful artisans. So you can see Sari weaving in the flesh and have a try at the loom. But it's, it's an amazing craft and it's just so good in today's society to be able to step out of our heads for a bit and lead with our hearts and just immerse ourselves in things like that. Thank you, Prue. Oh, my pleasure, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a wonderful opportunity to talk to you. And yeah, I look forward to doing more in the Modern Marketing Collective. You know, you're always adding more and more value to Sorry this amazing about that. program. Yeah. <laughs> like, ooh. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for having me. This episode is brought to you by my free online masterclass, Why Your Marketing Isn't Making You Sales and What to Do About It. You'll learn how to get heard and seen in this noisy online world and stop being invisible. How to fill your audience with the right people. People who will love your content and will actually buy your products, services, or programs. And how to consistently turn your followers into raving customers without being fake or salesy. This free masterclass is perfect if you're about to launch your business or you're a small business owner. Register now at emilyosmond.com forward slash free. That's emilyosmond.com forward slash free. And remember, until next time, connection over perfection. You've got this and we'll speak soon.